Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Today, data, specifically your data, and StatsNZ's new money-making venture using your phone. Imagine having someone follow you around with a notepad from the moment you wake up. Every decision you make, they note down. Coffee or tea? Do you take milk? Do you jump on a bus or catch a train, maybe? Did you bring your lunch or will you grab something? By the time you arrive at wherever it is you're going, that hypothetical person following you around with a notepad has a pretty good idea of what kind of person you are, the lifestyle you lead and the things you buy. Sure, no one's actually following you around writing down your preferences, but that data is being collected, and it's not just marketers keen on using it. Stats New Zealand is partnering with cell phone companies to launch a new way of tracking people's movements every hour. We'll get the nitty-gritty on what Stats is doing soon. Katie Kenny is a stuff journalist with a particular interest in digital trends and all the ways we give away data every day. It could start as soon as you wake up. I mean, I have, like, Google Home sets my alarm, so my first interaction is with (laughs) Google usually. And what's that interaction? Stop, alarm, (laughs) or snooze. Right, Okay. Yeah, I mean, it knows the time that I get up every morning. Um, It knows the podcast that I listen to as I get, get ready. And then once you leave the house, any time that you're, you might be catching an Uber, you might be even using public transport and swiping a card, you might be stopping off to buy a coffee at a shop with your, your bank card. I mean, banks have a huge information, amount of information if you think about the way that you use it wherever you go and, and what it might say, what your purchases might say about your lifestyle. The supermarket, if you have a loyalty card at your supermarket. The new One Card gives you three easy ways to save. First, one card club prices. Second, instant savings at the pump. And third, a choice of rewards to earn by shopping at Countdown. That's not even starting to get into a lot of us, obviously, for our jobs are on the internet and we're looking at different websites. Every time we read an article, um, that website gets a bunch of information about us. If you're sending emails, if you're sending text messages, Mm. we're just leaving an absolute trail of breadcrumbs, which isn't always like necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying we need to go off the grid, but um, certainly something we should be a little bit mindful of. We do live in a data economy and I don't think we quite realise the value. Yeah, how valuable is the data and and to who is it so valuable? Well, it really, I mean, it, it varies a lot. Some, some data no one would be necessarily interested in. Um, a lot of the information we just ad hoc drop around, but... Some of it is really valuable. Like uh, um, for another story, I was talking to some researchers at Otago University who were saying that supermarkets now, some of them make almost as much from metadata as they do from selling products. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, you think you're getting a good deal when your club card or whatever gives you a dollar off, I don't know, your bottle of milk. But um, they're, they're getting a better deal. And I think until we realise the value of our information and start maybe demanding a bit more for it, we're probably going to continue to be taken for a ride by some of these big companies. Just to hone in on that 
Can you just explain again how the supermarkets make money from the metadata? So a lot of the time they will be selling that back to the manufacturers who want to get a better understanding of who is buying their products and which products are popular and when they're buying them and where they're buying them. And that information is hugely valuable to them um, and you couldn't really get it Mm -hmm. any other way. Data from cell phone towers is being used to help the government make decisions around infrastructure or plan for emergencies. The project by Statistics New Zealand's Data Ventures team uses information from Spark and Vodafone to show the collective number of people in a location at a given time. Population density. So this is the first pilot project of Data Ventures, is that correct? Yes. What's it trying to measure and how does it work? Population density looks at, it's pretty self-explanatory, it looks at the number of people in a suburb per hour. So it just provides a snapshot of the population across the country over time. So it's not the same as Google data or other movement data because it doesn't track someone's movements from A to B. It simply provides a map of the number of, of people in a portion of the country, quite a large portion, suburb, when the smallest amount of time is one hour. We can't see any identifiable features of where they've come from, where they're going to, we just see a count at a point in time. The data will be used by government departments or local councils to improve or back up their spending decisions on things like tourism and infrastructure. Local councils have been using it to try and plan for tourism peaks and troughs. So if you're a little holiday destination and you get inundated with Aucklanders every summer, it's helpful to know, you know how many extra um, amenities you might need to cater for that. And um, likewise, places Queenstown that experience a lot of international visitors, it really helps with planning how much accommodation do we need, you know, how much load is there going to be on the, the water supply and that sort of thing. Emergency planning, the difference between 3am and 3pm is really important too because that could be the difference between 10,000 people being counted or not. Rather than waiting for an actual emergency to see how the population disperses. You can use a big event, like you said, like a rugby game, where you might have 70,000 people gathered in one space and then suddenly they're all leaving. And this data would show, you know, hour by hour, which highways are getting overloaded, which, you know, areas people are are travelling to afterwards and how quickly they're able to get out of, say, a central city area. So that information is really useful as well for emergency planning. Do they have a buyer for the population density data yet? Um, MB is already on board. I think Drew Broadley, who's the chief executive, said that they were their first client um, and they, of course, will be doing lots of planning around tourism and um, that sort of thing. But the idea is that other government agencies will follow suit and figure out how it's applicable to them. Right, so just to clarify... So Statistics New Zealand launched a new commercial wing within itself, which is Data Ventures. Data Ventures now collects the data and sells it back to government agencies. Yes, but it's important to note that the data that Data Ventures is working with is private. They're not selling any government data. Well, in this case, it's mostly kind of aggregated telco data, but they're not selling Statistics New Zealand data. 
The Privacy Commission has been involved and isn't concerned. The Data Ethics Advisory Group is involved too, including input on how widely available this data should be. Who's on board from the telcos? Spark and Vodafone at this stage. And what's in it for them? Do uh, they, do they sell it? Or, yeah, so it's, it's a, <laughs> they, a sale. They don't sell the data itself, but they sell their data service. They charge for the amount of work that it takes to process the data in a way that Data Ventures wants it. So I guess that's in it for them. I mean, Spark has said that they kind of already use that data anyway for their own planning purposes, for network planning purposes. So um, it's probably a bit of a no-brainer from their point of view. Although I was talking to Two Degrees and they initially were in talks with Data Ventures but have since pulled out. Why? They said that they, um, had, they did have some privacy concerns and they really valued their customers' trust and they felt like there just wasn't enough clarity around what the data could be used for in the future, especially because Data Ventures has said that it is looking to ultimately sell the data not just to government agencies but also to private companies as well. And that obviously didn't sit well with two degrees. Right. So at the moment, obviously, we're hearing about this being sold back to government agencies, but so they're not ruling out selling it to private companies potentially. That's right, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, it was the, the ultimate goal was to sell to both private and public organisations. The Finance Minister Grant Robertson and Statistics Minister James Shaw says people's privacy is a priority. They say the pilot wouldn't be rolled out if they weren't confident personal privacy would be protected. Mr Shaw acknowledged the perception issues around people feeling tracked with such a pilot, but says StatsNZ is more than up to the job of keeping personal details safe. It is very rigorous and um, we've had criticism in the past of people saying it's really difficult to get access to that information to be able to use it for research purposes. Well, that's because it's under such a lock and key. The privacy, anonymity, collection, data collection side of things is something that is quite a bugbear for people. What's being done to protect people's anonymity, basically, and privacy? The way that this data is packaged. Um, basically, Data Ventures sends a set of rules to the telcos, and those rules determine the way that the data is then given or packaged for Data Ventures, so that they only see what we what we talked about—that snapshot of individuals in a given place at a given time—and that's all they want to see. Um, Drew broadly said that anything more would be just too too risky for them, and um, that really limits. Too risky because it might risk revealing who was where. Yeah, they they didn't they they didn't want to be given any data that could potentially re-identify people or cause any kind of uh, concerns around privacy. They wanted to, and I spoke to the office of the privacy commissioner at the end of last week, and I said, "Am I missing something here? Is there anything that I should be concerned about?" And they said they really have, you know, dotted their eyes and crossed their t's with with the way that it is at the moment. This isn't the start of Big Brother. Big Brother is well on down the road, but um, less in government than in the private sector as it happens. This is a fairly tentative partnership, I think, between a telecommunications sector and government to really see whether a trusted agency like Stats New Zealand can take this commercial data and turn it into something that's of value to the wider economy. The issue with aggregated anonymised data sets that track movement normally is that even though all of my identifying details might be stripped... Um, when they're given to another organisation. If you see that this little dot on the map starts their day at my home address and spends a lot of time at the staff office in 
Wellington and then goes, you know, you can quite quickly, it doesn't take a lot to really think, oh, that's probably Katie Kenny. But um, because this isn't GPS data, it's simply cell tower data, which goes, yep, there was 10 people here in one hour and there was 20 people the next hour. We don't know whether that initial 10 people was included in that second hour number. Here's Drew Broadley from Data Ventures. The point is to effectively get that data um, anonymised, aggregated from the telcos um, before we receive it, bring that together and absolutely be able to tell where people are, but no identifying features of those people, just at a point in time. You just said before, it's not. this is not necessarily a bad thing, right, data collection. What are some of the pros and cons of having a digital footprint? Well, on a big scale, governments, charities, even companies can make our lives a lot easier because they can better tailor them to what we want. Um, And it can also make society a much fairer place as well if governments are making really data-driven decisions um, around infrastructure and allocation of resources and things like that. So there's there's definitely um, other examples of, say, UNICEF using really data-driven decision-making in some of its endeavours as well across the world. So it's it's very powerful. And then on an individual level, um, there are conveniences, right? Like even as simple as a discount is an incentive often to sign up for a, a club card or whatever, um, some kind of membership scheme. Clubhouse? The way that ads will pop up that are, that are tailored to your previous browsing habits. I mean... Th- some people think it's creepy, some people think it's helpful. Sometimes it depends on your perspective, yeah. but it can make life easier. And what about the cons? What are some of the concerns that people have with having so much data collected about them? I guess at the extreme end, you know, we're heading towards surveillance society. But we are very much in a in a society that, that I wouldn't say is zero privacy, but, but there's certainly not a lot of privacy. I think that there's this, um, there can be these kind of tipping points and sometimes we don't really notice that we're passing them and, and if there's mass adoption of something like the internet, for example, then eventually we get to a point where it's quite hard to exist without an internet connection. I'm not. I'm just using that as an, as an sure, example. Sure. <laughs> you know, I yeah, think yeah. the internet is wonderful. But I just mean that we're not necessarily making these conscious decisions along the way. And that can lead us to perhaps ending up in morally questionable places at times. I'm going to bring in my colleague Sharon Brett-Kelly here. Sharon, let's talk about this. Let's start with supermarket cards. What do you make of those? I hate them. I absolutely hate them because I know that that supermarket is collecting information from me and selling it on to somebody else. And I don't like the thought of that because really, how much, what sort of discounts do you get out of them? I was going to say nothing. But what if you do? What's a a dollar off for the sake of them giving, letting them know what you're buying? I'm worth a lot more than that, Alex. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't. And and so I go out of my way not to go to the same supermarket all the time because I don't like the thought that they are collecting information about me each time. So I just spread myself around. (laughs) I actually like targeted advertising because I think things aren't free. We have to pay for something somehow. And if I'm going to see ads, I'd rather see ads that are relevant. Like just before we came in here, I was looking at sunglasses. And then I've seen my feed is now full of sunglass uh, advertisements. 
and it's actually useful. I'd rather see that than something I'm not at all thinking about buying. Oh, what yeah, are, but it's, it's the thought that they might be selling that information about you to someone else who then starts target, targeting you with whatever they want to sell. Why do you think people do get so concerned about being tracked or, or the, the concern about a surveillance society? Mm. Why is that such a worry for people? I mean, that is a good question because I think a lot of people would kind of throw up their hands and say, I don't care if everyone has my information. I think the thing that I keep coming back to is that if everyone else has um, all of this information about you, it basically gives them the power to to join the dots and, and create a narrative for you. And when that kind of power is taken away from you, when you, when you sort of uh, in a position where you're defending your decisions rather than feel like you're sort of in charge of telling your own story, I think we can end up disempowered. So say I had access to your um, bank data and all of the places where you've gone and bought food for a day and then I made some kind of claims about the the, the kind of person you might be um, and you might turn around and say, that's not representative of me, you know, I was... I, don't, I was buying food for a party that day or something. Morning tea, um, something, But yeah. you were in a position mm. where you're defending my, you know, defending yourself against my assumptions. And um, I think, yeah, that that's the issue. At the moment, DataVentures is using, with the population density, is using the phone, the telco data. Is there any other data they would be looking to get access to? Would they want to use loyalty cards, anything like that, that you can see? The population density, I think the focus is on telco data because that's the best way of capturing that population. We've all um, got a phone on us all the time. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> density over time. And even for people who don't have a phone on them all the time, they've sort of normalised the data with other information to make it representative of the population. Um, How so? Well, they would they would overlay it with other population data that we already have, births and deaths, so that they... Um, like you would with any study, basically, just so that they make sure that um, it's representative. People without yeah. yeah, well, actually, it doesn't even have to be a smartphone. Um, cell tower data encapsulates any cell phone, right? Ah, so, just so, as long so, as you're on the network. Yeah, so any phone that can make a, a call has to be able to connect to a cell tower Um so it's yeah. So it's not even not even just smartphones. It's any phone. And, but that also means that unlike GPS, which can, which you do get from a smartphone connected to the internet, which is like very accurate with location, cell tower information is less accurate. Like it might be even a hundred meter radius. So you can't exactly pinpoint where someone might be. True. But just um, coming back again, do you think uh, data ventures would be interested in other forms of data collection? I think so, yeah. They might look at other data that is kind of already collected that we know about, but they might, same as they did with the telco stuff, they might look at, say, um, spending data and um, and incorporate that as well. But I don't know. It depends on what their future projects are. I don't, I don't know. Should we be worried about the future of data ventures and what red flags, privacy-wise, should we keep an eye out for? They do seem very conscious of making sure that they are complying with privacy impact assessments and you know the the way that statistics New Zealand all of the the rules and ethical considerations that they already make in terms of collecting data. I think it's important to ensure that going forward they they continue to uphold those those standards and um, Drew broadly 
at Data Ventures said that if they do end up going down the the route of selling to private companies, they'll need to have a whole lot of new conversations around um, the ethics and and whether they feel okay with selling that information uh, to for-profit companies. So I think at that point there'll be a lot more um, focus on where the information is going. And, and I think with these things as well, you always have to be conscious of what other information is being laid on top of it. So you might have one data set that's really s- relatively safe, but then as soon as you start overlaying other information, um, you can quite quickly sometimes figure out that it's not as anonymous as you might have thought. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Powak and produced by Alexia Russell. Our associate producer is Keitaki Masalamani. Kakite anō.